Welcome to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. Thank you for joining us again today on your favorite radio station. Just a reminder, if you cannot listen to all of our broadcast every Saturday morning on your favorite radio station, you can always listen to all of our previous shows on our podcast at either Apple or Spotify. To do that, all you need to do is go to the Pfeiffer's website, P-I-F-E-R-S.com. Go to our radio banner at the Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty website and click on to the radio banner and you'll be able to see our entire library of previous podcasts having to do with farmland throughout America. I just want to clarify a couple of things on today's show. Last week we talked a little bit about predictions for 2023 land values and a couple of you emailed me and uh, wanted some clarifications on what we thought about farmland values and as, as you well know, Pfeiffer's is the largest farmland auction company in this part of the United States, obviously, so we deal with this every single day. Uh, so we have a pretty good pulse on what's going on. But here's kind of our thoughts as we go into 2023, because there are so many things that have a, have a, an effect, uh, some dynamic pressures on farmland, whether they are going upward or downward. So I just want to kind of clarify a couple of things on that. Obviously, the farmland market, uh, you know, can be influenced by a number of different factors, which would include, obviously, investment potential of farmland compared to other investments. Obviously, the the cash rent or the net return on the land. Uh, interest rates would, would have something to do with that, of course, commodity prices. Uh, but again, when it comes right down to it, really, when you think about farmland values and, and how they are influenced, they... They are not subject to the whims of the market like the stock market might be. They are driven largely by fundamentals, and we all know that. I'll give you a good example. Uh, if you take a look at certain things uh, you know, in the stock market or the financial markets, uh, there could be an event that has taken place uh, somewhere globally, and it may have a significant impact that day or the next day or for a few days following that event on the financial markets. You don't see that happening on farmland values. They are largely and almost purely driven uh, by fundamentals. And those fundamentals, you know, basically they include cash rent or net return, like I said, working capital, interest rates, inflation, and then investment potential of farmland, you know, that's compared to, to other investments. And the reason I say that last portion is because Farmland, obviously, as an asset class, is on the radar now for a lot of people outside of production agriculture in America. And it could be investors who traditionally or maybe have lived in a certain county or township over the years but moved to another part of the country, made a living, built a business, became a doctor, a nurse, or whatever it might be. But they always want to invest back in their home state or their home county or even in their home township. So, again, those would be some of the investor types that would be more likely uh, to be investing in farmland rather than the big Wall Street uh, tycoons that would probably be more of a myth than anything. Yeah, you may have a few from, you know, from time to time. But, again, that, that would be more rare uh, than the common denominator when it comes to who are the investors that are buying farmland. I think another important thing, too, when it, we look at it, obviously a lot of farmers in production agriculture, they have, uh, they have not been able to expand their the equipment line of machinery like they would like to simply because of a lot of the different shortages 
of equipment or semi-trucks, semi-trailers, whatever it might be. Uh, so if there is any cash that is available, you know, maybe they're reallocating that instead of into equipment, maybe into land, what could be a small piece or a larger parcel of farmland. Uh, but again, it's an allocation of capital. So when it comes right down to it. And, and somebody did email me last week and asked about the continuing uh, shortages of farm equipment. Why is farm equipment so high uh, today compared to even just a year ago? Well, you know, recently the uh, the American uh, Manufacturers uh, Association, it's, it's actually the legal name is Association of Equipment Manufacturers, they had conducted a survey of their members, and these are the actual farm equipment manufacturers uh, throughout America. And it was kind of interesting that nearly all of the respondents, 98%, said that they still face supply chain issues. And, and more than half of the respondents, so 58%, said they were experiencing continuously worsening supply chain conditions. And this survey is only from a month ago. We're talking December 15th of 2022. And I want to just read you some of the results of this survey. I, th I find it kind of interesting, and I, I'm... I'm a little bit surprised by some of the results. And for those of you that are involved in production agriculture or supplying American agriculture with products and that, you might be surprised by this too, because I had thought maybe as we were getting into the final phases, the final quarter of 2022 and getting into 23, that maybe some of these supply chain bottlenecks and some of the issues that we're facing there in equipment would start to faint, to, to wane away, that the, that these would American would uh, production manufacturing would finally catch up. But here are some of the things that they found out in the survey of farm manufacturers and equipment manufacturers that nearly all of the respondents, again, 98% said they're still facing these supply chain issues. Six in 10 equipment manufacturers said they are experiencing continuously worsening supply chain conditions. And let me repeat that continuously worsening, not just worsening, but can, you know, it's been going on and it continues to worsen. The two driving factors of the disruption are workforce shortages. And we see that in all different facets of American, uh, the American economy. And they also say access to intermediate components for production. And that could be anything that could be a chip or it could be some sort of electronic or digital device or whatever it might be. Six in 10 equipment manufacturers are still having issues with workforce recruitment and retention. You know, there's been a lot of uh, changes in the workforce, obviously, since COVID or during COVID and then coming out of COVID, uh, early retirements, people moving away and, and uh, quitting their jobs and, and uh, leaving their homes and, and relocating and seeking, uh, you know, a lot of people want to go into business for themselves or whatever it might be, or going to a different part of the United States. Uh, interestingly, on this here other one, year-to-date equipment manufacturers are seeing an average of 12% production loss and are forecasting a slightly lower but still significant production loss of 8.2% in 2023. Now, this production loss is especially critical when many equipment manufacturers are fully sold out for 2023. Now, a lot of you that are in American agriculture already understand that. I've talked to a lot of truck dealers over the course of the last two or three months because we've been selling a lot of semi-trucks at Pfeiffer's Equipment Auctions and also talking to folks that run equipment or that run these trucking companies saying that they're still is a bottleneck in them being able to fulfill their orders so that they can get their semis or trucks so that they can get the, these goods and uh, transported to their to the final destination. Some more interesting results out of this survey. Find this interesting. Year-to-date, 
Equipment manufacturers are seeing an average of 8.6% profit margin loss and are forecasting a 6.4% profit margin loss in 2023. Lead times continue to lead times continue to be an obstacle. And it, the survey indicates this. While lead times understandably increased during the pandemic, they have only continued to grow as things stabilizing, jumping from an average of two to 2.42 months in 2019 to seven months in 2022. Uh, they said that there's no single solution to ongoing supply chain disruptions. And then lastly, on this survey, again, Association of Equipment Manufacturers saying equipment manufacturers of all sizes continue to utilize a multitude of responses to try and overcome ongoing supply chain disruptions. So when you look at what's going on in American agriculture, when you are trying to find that right piece of equipment, whether you want to buy that new piece of equipment or whatever it might be for your operation, it does look like from what we have been able to ascertain now, from the results of this survey shows that equipment manufacturers are experiencing worker shortages and supply chain difficulties and they anticipate that they are going to continue to see a lot of these same issues uh, that we saw in 2022 uh, endure and continue well into 2023. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. Lynn Paulson with Bell Bank is going to be with me on segments two, three, and four today, so appreciate him uh, stopping by here in a little bit. But before we go to our first break, I want to just give you an update on some of Pfeiffer's upcoming January auctions and I think we uh, we went through a couple of those with you during our last show of the 2022 season and then the one right prior to the new year. So as we're well into the new year now, we're going to talk just a little bit about some of the upcoming Pfeiffer's auction. Uh, the team is going to be, first of all, starting up in northwestern North Dakota in Burke County, 160 acres of exceptional cropland up in Burke County. And then they're going to be over in Dunn County, not too far from Burke County, but right in the heart of the oil field. Almost 340 acres in Dunn County, North Dakota for the Pfeiffer's team. Exceptional cropland and also a little bit of pasture land on that particular piece of ground. And then coming back to the Red River Valley on January 18th, two exceptional quarters of tiled farmland in Cass County. 305 acres near Erie, North Dakota. And in that area, there has been some pent-up demand over the course of the last three or four years. So a great opportunity if you're looking for corn or soybean land in the Red River Valley. And then right after that, that same day, 320 acres of land just five miles out of Hope, North Dakota in Steele County. And before I forget, 640 acres is going to be added to this in, in March, uh, there, that land is going to be right north of Hope. Uh, it's been a couple of years since the Pfeiffer's team has been over in that area. But I'm going to have to take a quick break here. But before I do, I want to thank all of our friends at Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty and Pfeiffer's Farmland Management for sponsoring our show every week. You can get a hold of their farmland and equipment auctioneers, their real estate brokers, or their farmland managers at Pfeiffer's.com. You can email them to get a free consultation at info at or call them toll-free at 877-700-4099. Nobody does it better than the team at Pfeiffer's. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. We'll be right back after this break. 
$1,000 bid, $2,000 wear, $1,750 here now too. So you wait for $1,750. Now one thousand thousand dollar bid and now one now ten thousand about a fifty dollar bid and now fifteen hundred thousand seventeen hundred and fifty dollar here now too. Welcome back to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. Thank you all for joining us uh, here on our show this morning. Lynn Paulson is with us. He's the Senior Vice President and Director of Agribusiness Development at Bell Bank. Lynn, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. And you? Doing pretty good. Thank you. Yeah, the last time you and I were in the studio together, uh, the world was a lot different. <laughs> I don't think there was a war in Ukraine, and I don't think uh, we had 7.5% prime lending rates, did we? A lot has changed uh, starting yeah. in uh, February 24th and, yeah. and going on. And the uh, the things that are going on in the, in the uh, geopolitical world, whatever, and how they're filtering down in the egg sector is actually very interesting and to some extent unprecedented. Unbelievable, isn't it, when you think about it? I know you've been in the banking and agribusiness your entire career. Uh, do a phenomenal job uh, wherever you've been and now at Bell Bank. Uh, what a year. I'm, so, I'm kind of glad 2022 is behind us. For for a lot of people in production agriculture, I think it was such a condensed year because if you look back in 2022, which is clearly in our rearview mirror now, we had those two major snowstorms in central and western North Dakota that just raised all sorts of havoc and challenges for the agri- for the livestock producers but they were just like one right after another. And then it was a late spring for planting and everything. And a lot of guy farmers going back and forth. They were pushed up against the deadline, whether they're going to make the uh, prevent a plant deadline or not for corn, soybeans, wheat, or whatever. Finally got their crop in. And then all of a sudden, before you knew it, it was harvest. What a condensed year 2022 was. Well, it really was. I think if you'd have told any of us in the middle of May that we would end up where we are today, we'd have said absolutely not. I mean, things looked like you mentioned. Uh, it was wet. It was cold. As you mentioned, uh, you know, the crop insurance and guys plowed ahead and, you know, Mother Nature cooperated to, to, to a large extent, you know, allowing to get the crop in, maybe a little dry in places, but commodity prices offset that. And, you know, all in all, when it was all said and done for, for the majority of producers, uh, 22 um, you know, I like to say that these are the good old days right now. Yeah, they really are, aren't they? <laughs> they really are. When you think about it. You know, when I look back at 2022, I guess the biggest surprise, well, there are a couple of things that, that are, you know, weather is always the biggest challenge in American agriculture, for sure. We all understand that. That's risk. There's ways you can have risk management place and that type of thing. But I think a couple of things. Obviously, the continuous shortage, and on our first segment, you weren't here during our first segment today, but... Uh, the, the shortage of uh, farm equipment, trucks, and then also components that go into these. And, and like a lot of these components and stuff, you just can't go, like in the old days, you can't go into your shop and make something. You're not going to go in there and make a chip or a digital device or something to make that piece of equipment run. But when you look back, Lynn, in 2022, probably, and you, you, you might have some other uh, surprise or something that sticks out in your mind that was more notable. But for me, it was... Uh, the shortage of farm equipment and trucks, and then also the unbelievable, the relentless continuing of uh, surge in, in farmland values. Yeah, I think, you know, partly the, uh, the, the surge in farm equipment uh, was a couple of things. You know, obviously the, the supply was down, but the demand was sky high. You know, farmers had dollars in their pockets. Uh, they were looking to make investments back into the farm and upgrade equipment, uh, uh, facilities, farmland, and, and those types of things. So, um, but I think we all learned a lot about what actually all goes into building farm equipment. And, uh, you know, the, 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 
the electronics and the complexity and the technology and you know we we deal with some construction equipment people in in Iowa whatever and they literally had six seven hundred thousand dollar pieces of equipment that were waiting for a, a five dollar chip and, and you couldn't deliver it until you did so um, and it doesn't seem like there's any short term solutions to that I mean there's a lot of talk about all these you know semiconductor plants being built around the country but they're they're years away you know during the first segment I quoted a survey that was done by the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. And this was just done in December, so a month ago. And this is a surprising part. This really kind of caught me off guard when I was reading this because we had a listener uh, email me from last week's show. We had some questions on our prediction for farmland prices. And then also he had asked if we would talk about equipment valuations and where we thought we were, they, where they were headed. And out of this survey, and there were 198 people that responded, and there aren't that many equipment manufacturers, so it looks like almost all of them have responded, but they said the two driving factors are the disruption of the workforce shortages and access to intermediate components for production. And they think they will continue well into 2023. So uh, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of relief in sight when you look at the results of this survey, does it? No, it really doesn't. And I think if you talk to your major manufacturers, uh, for the most part, most of the equipment, they're already sold out for 23, right? Um, and, and so I think it behooves a lot of producers that, you know, you're going to have to start having a farm equipment replacement plan. Uh, the days of obviously of saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go trade tractors next week or whatever, uh, are probably at least in a rearview mirror for the, for the short term, right? Because you drive by a lot of the equipment dealers and you kind of wonder if they're still in business because there's a lot, not a lot of new stuff or used stuff out front. So it really is a changing uh, dynamic. Um, and, you know, the, 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 like I said, the pent-up demand is there, um, partly due to there was a delayed uh, buildup or replacement equipment during some of those tougher times from, you know, from 14 to 19. So there's a little bit of a, re, uh, a buildup of, of demand. Um, but the other part is obviously people do look to the tax man a little bit to, 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 to see about uh, some excess or taking some additional depreciation in buying some equipment. So do you think this is, let's just talk about farm equipment this segment, then next segment we'll get into the land, but do you think, in, and again, you're in, the, you're in the lending business and, you know, you're in the wealth management, you understand all this. Do you think this is the new normal? I mean, is this, is this life as it's going to be now for some time? Well, or do I, you think we'll ease out of this? No, I, well, we might ease out of it a little bit, but I think we're probably morphing towards a, a build-to-order uh, type of uh, uh, environment. I think you're seeing a lot of your large producers go to, um, to, to leasing and to rental of fleets for all their power units, and they seem to be at the head of the line for, for getting new equipment. So, I, yeah, I, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to change uh, the overall dynamics a little bit of it. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, producers have a lot of, generally have a lot of cash in their pockets. And I, as I take a look into 23, you know, I, I take a look at, you know, for example, in 22, maybe producers are, you know, netting three, $400 an acre on things. Um, I think 23 is going to provide an opportunity to make some money, uh, but maybe it's only at $100 an acre. And are you willing to pull the trigger and be satisfied with $100 an acre profit? Or are you looking in the rearview mirror and thinking that, you know, the 22 is going to be there again for 23? So, um, and it's a highly, highly competitive in, uh, industry, as we all know, and we're you know, you're seeing it probably more than anybody in, in cash rents and land values and things like that. So um, I sometimes as lenders, we kind of get looked at as like, you know, you're really kind of a, a Debbie Downer, right? But we're downside risk managers. We take a look at managing downside risk. And, and we've been in the business long enough to know that, 
you know, problem credits often start at the top of the cycle, and some of the best operations were, were created at the bottom of the cycle. So, you know, we think cash is king. Can't have enough working capital. That's going to be the buffer, you know, when, when, you know, maybe times go down a little bit and provide some opportunities, not just to bridge those troubled economic waters, but also maybe take advantage of some opportunities out there that might might exist. You know, and, and the, the capital it takes to farm today, I, I don't think we're ever going to go back to when, you know, even, even four or five years ago when prices were somewhat more moderate, but it seems like now uh, with the cost of everything, and I know inflation is still, what, seven, close to 8%. They're trying to drive it down to 2%. But, you know, really, I think the day of uh, having uh, capitalized production agriculture operations equipment anywhere from, you know, 700,000 to a million. I think those days are long gone. I think the average equipment auction in North Dakota last year was like 750,000. I think those days are long gone, don't you? Well, I, I do. And, and we often get asked the question, you know, are young people getting involved in farming and how do you get started? But it's getting to be like so many other businesses getting to be so capital intensive, right? That it, it, it's really hard for somebody to start out new unless you have some connections to an existing farm operation and the like. But between machinery and equipment, access to land, everything else, the capital requirements are, are, um, are, are continue to go up. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. Lynn Paulson is with us from Bell Bank, Senior Vice President and Director of Agribusiness Development. So glad Lynn could join us for segments two, three, and four. Our show today is being sponsored by Pfeiffer's Auction Realty and Pfeiffer's Farmland Management. You can get a hold of the Pfeiffer's Farmland and Equipment Auctioneers their farm real estate agents or their farmland managers at 877-700-4099 or email them at info at pifers.com. Nobody does it better than the team at Pifers. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pifer. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. In studio today, Lynn Paulson from Bell Bank in Fargo, North Dakota, Senior Vice President and Director of Agribusiness Development. So glad Lynn could uh, join us again today. Lynn, I want to get uh, into the land valuation business here a little bit. You know, the second segment, we talked about farm equipment, that type of thing. Uh, last week on the radio show, I had predicted that we would likely see a continuing or a continuation of these farmland values well into 2023. Not an increase, but a continuation of where we are, maybe more of a lateral movement. Uh, one thing we have experienced, Lynn, at land auctions in the Pfeiffer's organization is instead of 40 people being in the room bidding, now there's only maybe 25 or 30 I think some of the bidders who uh, have to borrow more money uh, than they have for cash, so they gotta uh, they have to come in come into the into this with a little bit more cash, uh, and they have to borrow more money. I think those bidders, for the most part, are kind of taken out of the picture. So, and maybe you're seeing something different, but with the Federal Reserve's rate increases last year we had one two three four five six seven started in march may june july september november december 
One thing about them, they're pretty consistent. They didn't miss a beat. 25 basis points in March, 50 basis points in May, 75 in June, 75 in July, 75 in September, 75 in November, and 75 in December. And now, thankfully, they don't meet until March. That's nice. But, you know, what are you predicting? And you've been in this a long time. You grew up on a farm. You were a farmer. Obviously, you've been in agricultural lending your entire career. Do you see that, and I ask you a couple of questions. Number one is where do you see land values going? And are you seeing maybe an erosion of cash now that's out there that a lot of producers and, and investors have had over the course of the last 15 months? You know, in terms of um, land values, I, I would agree totally. I, I, don't, I don't see a bubble. I don't see any significant downturn, maybe a flattening out, as you mentioned, uh, a lot of the producers and, and a lot of the customers that we have um, are, are buying with cash or at least making a big downstroke in, into, that, uh, into that purchase with money that they've made. So their, their, their net investment in that land is probably a fairly, fairly reasonable. You know, at some point, the interest rates, you know, or the two I words, inflation and interest, um, are going to probably catch up a little bit. Um, but right now, you know, the interest rates, like you said, keep going up. There's a little bit of an inverted yield curve, which is kind of interesting, you know, always a precursor to, uh, to a recession. But uh, when you've essentially doubled uh, your rates um, on, on some of this debt, it, it certainly does have an impact, especially for anybody that's got any leverage, right? So, um, you know, at least in the short term, I don't see a lot of impact to, to increasing rates in the farm sector. I, first of all, a lot of producer are cashed up. They're, op, they're playing with house money here. Um, and so they're not necessarily borrowing. If you talk to a lot of ag bankers around the country, one of their biggest concerns is, is loan demand. It's really down. Producers have paid down their lines of credit. They're, they're sitting on cash. They, you know, they, they're looking for loans to, to make. So, um, so at least in the short term, um, those interest rate hikes aren't, aren't going to affect. Um, I, I think we're going to see it if there's new purchases, either to machinery or equipment or or real estate and you have to go out and borrow and you're you know getting a little bit of a shock on, on rates are and then the other thing that people kind of forget is that we got a lot of loans that are you know we categorize them as fixed rates but they're really not fixed rates they're going to reset you know one two years down the road and they may be at three or four and all of a sudden that they a balloon payment comes due and they're resetting at seven or eight you know so you just got to be cognizant about some of that at least you know where balance sheets are, are fairly leveraged and there's a higher than average amount of debt out there. You know, I was looking at some of the uh, some of the information that was provided uh, by chart, uh, I think it's Professor Hart out of Iowa State and some of the predictions that, well, he first of all, he was going through all the information that uh, was completed here recently as far as the harvest, corn and soybeans and everything, and then the anticipation for next year. Um, there's a lot of economists and people that are in his positions throughout the United States that they're not really predicting a really robust picture when it comes to commodity prices for next year. Uh, when you look at ending stocks for corn and soybeans and wheat, you know, some of the major crops, uh, and then with the downward pressure on, on input costs, and like we had talked in the second segment about farm equipment costs and those types of things, do you think as we, you know, now we're into 2023, as we go through this next crop season now that there's going to be an opportunity for car for farmers who you say are some of them are cashed up to continue to build that capital, or do you think there's going to be uh, start at the beginning of an erosion of some of that equity? 
you know, I don't see an erosion of that equity, at least in 23. As I mentioned, I, I think there's opportunities out there right now. If a person was, was pretty aggressive in their marketings with maybe corn having still a, a six or at least a strong five in front of it and soybeans at $13, $14, I think most producers under normal circumstances can, can, can make a profit at that. Um, but what, again, what we're seeing is, is um, you know, that working capital and, and liquidity and, and managing, you know, the downturns. Um, you know, the rates, I, you know, that's a great question, Kevin. I, 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 I think there's still a couple 25 basis points bips coming in this deal. It seems like the Fed has going, you know, made the decision we're going we're gonna to stick a fork in inflation at whatever cost. Uh, and if it, you know, it, 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 if it in, includes in a recession and, you know, whether, however they define a recession, right, whoever defines a recession. But at some point, all of that filters down into the egg sector as well, right? So, um, but myself, I, I, I still look for continued strong economy or uh, commodity prices. Um, you know, the, the geopolitical thing and, and the Ukraine deal, even if they, you know, somehow ceased fire tomorrow, whatever, it's going to take a long time for them to get back into somewhat of a normal course of business. I think one of the biggest concerns actually is, 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 is a global recession. And, the, you know, the people that may need the commodities the most have the least ability to buy. So do you, you know, and, and again, I know there's a lot of, you talked about the two eyes, interest rates and inflation. So again, again you study this as, as much as I do. So when you look at inflation, for example, do you really believe we're at 8% inflation or seven? I mean, don't, don't you feel like it's more like 28%? I mean, when you think about it, um, you know, on, in our firm, you know, we have farmland managers, uh, that manage, they all manage about forty to 50,000 acres of farmland. So every two or three years, we've got to buy them new pickups. I mean, we replaced a few of the pickups this year. I mean, they're up 30 or 40%. They're not up 8%. Uh, it seems like no matter where you go, the grocery store, uh, to get parts for your piece of equipment, buy a battery or whatever it might be, seems like everybody's charging, you know, to the point what, what they can ever get away with. But it doesn't seem to me like core inflation is really at 8%. It just seems like it's significantly higher. And I wonder if we really in this country have a handle on that. You know, I, I would agree. And I think one of the biggest reasons that we, we don't see it is, is to some extent with all the government stimulus that has come out in the last you know, two years, uh, both individually and on the farm side to some extent, that's kind of buffered the effects of inflation, right? I mean, there was, there was cash coming in and and, and that excess cash helped buffer that inflation. When we get back, especially in the general economy and the general wage earner, where you've got to make it or break it on your salary without those stimulus dollars there, that's where you're going to really see, you know, the, the chickens come home to rooster or because people will realize that, you know, inflation is really there. And I don't, I don't know, you know, they, they have metrics to, 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 you know, to calculate inflation, but it almost seems like it's, almost more of a political index than it is an economic one at times. You know, it, it seems to me that, you know, outside of agriculture for a lot of people, no matter what profession they're in, and especially the, the wage earners, there's less discretionary money today. There certainly is because of it, and that's largely driven by inflation. Um, there's less opportunity for the middle class uh, to live the American dream, and the biggest American dream that has ever been is to own your own home, um, you know, that basically, for a lot of people, the rug's been pulled out from underneath them. Uh, it seems to me like, you know, it's such a balancing act. And I'm not an economist. I'm not a central banker. But it seems to me like it's so difficult to try and balance, okay, 
the Federal Reserve wants to push and push to get to 2% inflation, but to do it, we're going the opposite way on interest rates. So the 30-year and the 15-year fix now are double what they were in March of last year of 2022. It, that monthly payment for everybody now to go in and buy a home is, for a lot of people, it's not even a probable situation anymore. No, it really isn't. And and I think one of the, the, the challenges we have, again, is, you know, not to, to, to pick on government stimulus and, and, and the like, but I think there is a little bit of a, a mindset out there that if things get tough, you know, the government will take care of me. And uh, as a result, maybe we've gotten away a little bit from, gotten away a little bit from, from you know, some, some good economic one-on-one lessons, you know, to, to actually budget, live within your means, actually maybe back up a little bit on the, on the uh, lifestyle of family living. And, you know, I always like to use the, the analogy, family living and spending is kind of like concrete. Once it sets up, it's pretty hard to change, right? It's pretty hard to back up. And, and, and so, um, you know, there, there's a, what we're seeing a little bit on this right now to maintain that style of living with the government money running out, it's going on credit card. And it, it, you see where the credit card balances are going right now. And, you know, there's a day of reckoning there as well. Lynn Paulson is with us with Bell Bank out of Fargo, North Dakota. So with Lynn, the glass is always half full, not half empty. So that's what I appreciate <laughs> about you. And then the last segment today, you and I are going to talk about some of the things that we appreciated about 2022 and, and then also some of our expectations and some of the good things that we're going to see hopefully in 2023. Before we go to our final break, I want to thank all of our friends at Pfeiffer's Auction Realty and Pfeiffer's farmland management for sponsoring our show every week you can also listen to our podcast in either apple or spotify just go to the pipers.com website and click on to the pipers radio banner and you can look up the hundred plus podcasts in the library there the digital library on pipers uh, to get a hold of the pipers team and nobody does it better than their land managers or their farm equipment and land auctioneers and their real estate agents just call them 877 877- 700-4099 or email them at info at pifers.com. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. We'll be right back after this break. 35, and I have sold it to you right there. Good bird, just great buy. Welcome back to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. Glad all of you could join us. Uh, I'm not going to have a lot of time today to talk about the Pfeiffer's upcoming auctions that we have in 2023, just for the month of January. Uh, The team is going to be all over the region in Montana. North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin. But don't forget, January 17th in Burke County and Dunn County, all kinds of good crop equipment. And then back in Cass and Steele County, uh, Pfeiffer's team is going to have about 640 acres of some of the best farmland they're going to offer in 2023, then 239 acres in Foster County. And then some written bid lease auctions in Montreal and Grand Forks County. And then back up in oil country, up in the Bakken in Williams County, 218 acres and 317 in Montreal County, and then down into South Dakota. Uh, and then the team will be over in Minnesota. We're going to have, uh, Lynn, we're going to have almost 600 acres of exceptional cropland along Highway 75 in Wolverton mm. Township in Wolverton, Minnesota. You know, that's some good land. <laughs> it's excellent land. <laughs> that doesn't get any better. Now, we already have people licking their chops on that one. And that's February 2nd, actually, and it's going to be the 4th 
land transaction that the Pfeiffer's team has done in Wolverton Township in the last six months. So, you know, we can go years and years and not do any business in a township. And then all of a sudden it seems like it just all of it comes in, in waves. So that's, that's a good thing. But Lynn, uh, I appreciate you coming in today. We don't have a lot of time left today, but I would like to visit with you just a little bit about, you know, what, what are you thankful for in 22? What do you, you know, with you, one thing I like about you, Lynn, you're great to work with. Um, I've done a lot of business with you over the years. You and Joe Watsky over at Bell, you guys are exceptional. You understand production agriculture. You understand the markets. Um, and one thing I appreciate, you guys are always optimistic. Yeah, you're risk managers, like you said earlier, and you really, really are. Uh, and you're tough in that way, which is good. That's the way a lender should be. Uh, but but with you guys, the, the glass is always half full. That's probably where you are where you are in life. Uh, and it's not half empty. What are you most uh, thankful for in 22? And what do you see as some good things in, in agriculture in 23? Well, you know, to your comment, I always used to joke the only person more optimistic than the farmer is his banker. There you go. I mean, we really are. I mean, we, we are out there cheerleading, um, you know, because we're only as successful as obviously the, uh, as, as the producers. But again, I, I think in, in 22, the thing that I'm thankful for is that, you know, as we talked about earlier, you know, the, getting off to a horrendous start in the spring and, and being able to get the crop in and, and generally overall the, the agricultural sector uh, coming out as financially healthy as, as they are and putting them in great shape going into, quite frankly, into, into uh, 23. Um, so, you know, it, it's, uh, there, there's opportunities galore out there. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting when you went through the 80s, it kind of took out generally the, the average or the marginal producers and you know, that tough stretch we went through from 14 to 19 maybe took out some of the marginal managers. So what we're looking with right now or what we got is just a very, very strong egg produ- producer base. I mean, very sharp producers out there. They know how to make money. They know how to, you know, they they're obviously know, they know how to raise a heck of a crop and so forth. So I'm, I'm extremely optimistic about, you know, how 22 turned out and the outlook for 23. You know what I thought was fascinating in 22 is that all the Pfeiffer's land auctions and equipment auctions we had, I was really pleased with the number of 20, 30, and 40-year-old people that were there, farmers. Um, you know, and we hadn't seen that for a number, number of years. But, you know, the young people that are getting back into production agriculture, there are a number of them, probably not so many in their 20s, but a lot of 30- and 40-year-olds. And, you know, you, you, you look back at it and you're going, man, this is so good to see. Now, for a lot of them, the challenge is becoming, you know, obviously can now they can compete, can they compete with the existing farmer, the more established farmer, the investor, and it comes to, to buying farmland. But there are some methods in which they can get preferred interest rates, right, Lynn, today still in, in, the, in the banking environment? Yeah, I, I prefer it's getting to be a relative term right now, right? Um, but there, there's, there's programs out there through the Bank of North Dakota, through FSA and the like that, you know, but you got to understand you're going to start on a small scale. You're going to have to probably do some things outside the farm with, with off-farm income and, you know, willing to make a lot of sacrifices uh, to, to make it work. But we see it happening, um, and, and so those things are interesting. You know, to your point earlier, I, I think it is interesting where you get these, you know, 30, 40 year olds uh, that are, are real sharp. They probably have hooked up with their dad. They're kind of our age, right? And they've learned and you maybe, you know, they're, they're extremely smart and intelligent. And if you can combine that with, with some, maybe some wisdom and some institutional knowledge of the, of the older generation, it makes a powerful, powerful combination. And, and we see these things just, just taking off and, you know, that, that, that younger producer taking the operations to the, to the next generation. So, um, 
but again, you know, for the for the younger farmer starting out without a lot of help, it's it, it's doable. Um, but but you got to be a little little bit realistic about where you where you're starting, and and then you have to have a plan. But like you said, you know, they can go to FSA, or you know, they have to have a primary bank like Bell sure. Bank, like you guys. Or they can go to FSA, or they can go to the Bank of North Dakota, and they can get those the beginning farmer loans, whatever it might be. One thing I did see a lot of this year is that you know maybe some of the land auctions we had is uh, if it was a half section or a section of land, uh, the dad was probably or the more established one in the family was buying the quarter, but they wanted two purchase agreements, put an eighty in the son's name and eighty in dad's name, to make it more doable. I mean, you don't have to buy a half section or a section mm-hmm. to get started, but. You know, if you can buy an 80 every two or three years or four years or whatever, and you build that land base, whatever it might be, you don't have to do it all at once. No, I mean, in fact, I think a lot of, that's how a lot of these established operations were built, and they were built over time. You know, it's kind of like how to eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? I mean, and, yeah. and so you, you start small and, and you, you, you build, and, you know, and, and the same, same thing even in, in commercial real estate. You know, you buy your first apartment building, your first house, and you, and you just build off of that and, uh, and so forth. So, um, so yeah, I, I think there are opportunities um, out there. It's just a matter of, you know, positioning yourself financially to take advantage and, and kind of having a plan and having, you know, if, if this is a strategic buying opportunity, if it just makes sense, we're talking a little bit about land and, and land values and things like that. But the, the reality is emotion takes over a lot of these things, right? And, and you know, maybe that, that, that parcel next to you, it's only going to come up once in a generation and you're not going to miss it. I yeah. mean, I, I could give you a personal example of that, whatever. That's like, you know, I can sit here and talk about all the financials and if that parcel land came up, I'm coming home with it. I mean, it, it's just, it's just it, economics, it, you know, going to go out the window. So there's a little bit of, 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 of that that, you know, kind of takes over a little bit in, in, in those purchases. But I think there's really four things, obviously, that drive land prices, you know, supply, demand, interest rates, commodity prices, and, you know, the government, crop insurance, whatever. So I think most of those are still pretty strong other than interest rates. So we'll, we'll see. You know, the other thing, too, we don't think a lot about is, and, you know, and obviously whatever side of the river you're on, you know, Minnesota is a lot different than North Dakota on the tax structure for property tax. I think in North Dakota, um, we we sometimes take, we, we forget how, how reasonable our property tax structure is in North Dakota. I compare it to Minnesota and Iowa and some of the other states. Uh, property tax, uh, they're, they're what cash rents were just a few years ago in some states. So they're that high. So we are pretty fortunate in North Dakota and even South Dakota. I just paid my real estate taxes back in Benson County, and, and they are very reasonable. And you compare that to you know, what I've seen in Nebraska, that you got real estate taxes that are approaching $100 an acre. Right? Unbelievable. So it, yeah. it, it, it really is. And of course, you know, that, that factors into what you're charging for cash rent and, and things like that. But I think at the end of the day, the thing that I always want to remember is the ultimate beneficiary of a farm, strong farm economy is the landowner. And, and you know, whether it be in rents or in sales or whatever type of thing, you know, the landowner really is the ultimate beneficiary of a strong farm economy. So we just got to keep providing that opportunity for younger people to buy that land and stay in production, agriculture, and raise their families out there. That's what we're all hoping for. Thanks for being here, Lynn. Appreciate nope. it. You bet. Lynn Paulson's been our guest here in segments two, three, and four. You want to listen to these podcasts again, you just go to the Pfeiffer's website and pull up the, pull up the library of podcasts, and he'll be on there. And if you want to get a hold of Lynn, you can just uh, email me at info at Pfeiffer's.com or call me toll-free. 877 and I'll relay the information or a question or whatever might have for Lynn. 
Our show has been sponsored by Pfeiffer's Auction Realty and Pfeiffer's Farmland Management. You can get a hold of the Pfeiffer's Farmland Managers, their farmland and equipment auctioneers, and even their farm real estate agents at 877-700-4099 or email them at info at Pfeiffer's.com and they'll give you a free consultation for selling your farmland and equipment or managing your farmland, whatever it might be. Nobody does it better than the team at Pfeiffer's. You've been listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. We'll look forward to being with you next week.